We are so grateful for your presence tonight. For those who may be viewing online, we appreciate your being with us as well. We have Brother Barry Cook back there with the study guides left over from this morning. If you did not get one upon which to take notes on the lesson, <clears throat> we hope that you, shall get it, you will get his attention and uh, be ready to study with us the lesson that we announced this morning. We're going to be talking about blood tonight, and I hope that you will be benefited and blessed. I have been asked to shorten the lesson a little bit tonight because there are some who are wanting to go to the Liberty meeting, and uh, they might be a little late, but they wanted to get there. Now, if you want to go to a gospel meeting or something, I'll give you permit to do that, but don't just ask me to shorten the lesson just for anything. <laughs> and someone said, well, this is going to be a miraculous procedure tonight if Edward shortens the lesson. But we do appreciate the uh, desire of some to support area meetings, and we like to do that as well. There's a lot said about blood in the Bible. And we find in Acts 17, verse 26, as Paul is in the city of Athens, he made the observation before that vast audience there on Mars Hill, God has made of one blood all nations. Isn't it amazing that all the peoples of the earth have something in common? They all have the same blood. Now, this passage in text does not say they have all the same blood type, but their blood can be exchanged. They have people of all races can donate blood to people of all other races if they so choose, as long as they do have a matching type. But that is an amazing statement when you stop and think about it. <clears throat> we ought sometimes wonder if we have much in common with anybody else. But here is something that we all have in common with one another and with all the peoples of the earth. Someone has given a very simple definition of blood. It is the life-giving body fluid. It is a fluid. It is life-giving. Genesis 9.4, Leviticus 17.11 remind us that the life is in the blood. When someone is wounded, they immediately begin, whether it's that individual who is still aware and alert or someone who is called in to assist in cases of emergency, they need to stop the blood flow. Because a human being can bleed to death. And if it's a major artery severed, or if an aneurysm occurs, it doesn't take long. Because the blood is vitally important. It is essential to life. The life is in the blood. The book of Leviticus has a lot to say about blood. It talks a great deal about the blood of the sacrificial animals that were brought to be offered. 
that blood was emphasized, especially in the first 20 chapters, where you will find the word blood at least 84 times. Now that's a lot of talking about blood. But inasmuch as God was setting up the Levitical system or the Levitical order that had to do with Aaron and his descendants serving as priests, Aaron was the high priest, the first high priest. And there were other priests, his sons, namely at the outset, who served under him. Their role was to make atoning sacrifices for the sins of the people, for their own sins. And they were, there were instructions given with a great and major emphasis upon blood offerings. Of course, that goes all the way back to the beginning, wherein Cain and Abel offered sacrifices. And it seems that Abel offered an animal sacrifice and blood was involved. Whereas Cain offered a different type of sacrifice, and it wasn't that what he offered was that bad, but it wasn't in harmony with what God commanded and what he desired. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. Nothing is said of Cain's faith. It's obvious that his was an offering that consisted of basically whatever was available or something of his own choosing that was in contradiction to what God had commanded. Inasmuch as Abel offered his by faith, that tells us that God had spoken about that sacrifice because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's a principle that runs all the way through the Bible. And so we need to emphasize blood. The blood of the Old Testament was a type or a shadow for the blood of the New Testament. And that is the focus of our study tonight that we want to consider. First of all, I want to establish the fact that blood matters to God. We hear a lot about this, that, or the other matter. Uh, it, those things matter, we're told today, and sometimes a very valid point is being made. But we know without any uncertainty at all that God looks upon blood as very important. Inasmuch as He gave blood to all and made all of one blood, that would signify that blood is important and critical in God's scheme of things. We learn from the Bible that God hears the voice of innocent blood. Have you ever stopped to think about that? What did God tell Cain in Genesis 4? The blood of your brother, that would be Abel, cries unto me from the ground. God heard the cry of Abel's blood. 
Isn't that remarkable? Cain may have thought, nobody knows what I've done to my brother. But God knew. And God let Cain know that he knew, speaking directly to him. When you look at Proverbs 6, one of the things that God is said to hate is the hand that sheds innocent blood. Abel's blood was innocent. He had done nothing to deserve death at the hands of his brother. When you think about these statements, of course, you think about in our country today, and I'm sure this is true in other countries as well, there are so many murders and killings of various sorts. We know about the death toll that came or has come at the hands of abortion. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon millions upon millions. I mentioned just a couple of weeks ago that the death toll from COVID and the death toll from abortions are very, very closely related. There's not very much difference at all in them. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That we have come to so disregard human life and innocent blood that we would be guilty of such atrocities. We're going to be studying some lessons in the future, our Lord willing, from the Old Testament that reminds us just how God looks at such things and views such things. We know from Matthew chapter 23 that this matter is of concern to God. Jesus there speaking said in verse uh, 25, it is, I believe, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you make clean the outside of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. I think I wrote down the wrong passage here in mind. But you consider that uh, we don't have the time, since I'm cutting this short, for me to <laughs> go and look it up. But you read those passages and uh, look at that. He not only hears the voice of innocent blood, he sees the blood too, doesn't he? You remember that story in Luke 12 when God passed over Egypt and how the Hebrews no doubt asked, are we going to be protected from this? He gave them the instruction to select the lamb to, provide, uh, to prepare it for an offering. Yet that would require the slaying of the lamb. And he said, now I want you to take the blood from that slain animal, and I want you to put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of your house. And he said, when I see that blood, I will pass over you. I read a story of uh, a similar happening where there was a war going on in some country, and this young man was out and about, but 
he saw these uh, enemy soldiers or whomever they were, and they uh, entered into a house and killed a number of people in that house. And when they came out, the leader said, now take their blood and put it on the door and people will know that uh, what we're going to do to those who stand in our way. This man heard that. He ran as quickly as he could when they were out of sight to where he lived. And there was a goat out in the yard. And he took that goat, killed it, and took the blood and put it on the front door just as they had done. And that, that family was not harmed. He used their tactic that they meant to send a signal that they meant business to gain deliverance for his own family. That's what happened in Egypt a long time ago. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that is exactly what happened that night. Not a single death occurred among the Hebrews. But the Egyptians from Pharaoh down, the death of the firstborn caused weeping and wailing in the land on the night of the Passover. That's when they were to eat the Passover meal and they were to commemorate that deliverance each year from that point onward. And Orthodox Jews still eat the Passover meal today, I understand. But that brings us to talk about the blood that is upon which we are to focus today. And that, of course, is the blood of Christ. I want us to look at these, I believe there are six things on the screen that we'll spend the remainder of our time discussing. We sing the song, There is Power in the Blood. Another song is Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And there are so many other songs. One of my favorites is, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. That song has been sung over and over again. I understand and have been told by some that it was sung on the battlefield at Shiloh, next to the bloody pond, to which soldiers from both armies came to dress and wash the blood from their wounds. And they gave it the name, the bloody pond, because it literally turned to the color of blood. But that night it is said that those soldiers sang that very hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. What kind of power does the blood of Christ have? First of all, it has purchasing power. In Acts 20, verse 28, not, verse, uh, not chapter 20, verse 8, but verse 28, Paul explained or described the church 
And he said that that church was purchased by the blood of Christ. He told the elders, Take heed unto yourselves and unto the flock. Feed them. And uh, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and your responsibility is to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. He has purchased the church with His own blood. I have many times heard people belittle the church, question the importance of the church, and it comes to mind always, how could you imagine belittling something that cost so much? The price of the blood of Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of mankind. The church is purchased with His blood. You go to, Act, or to Romans chapter 5, and there Paul makes another point, that the blood has justifying power. How can a sinner ever be justified before God? The answer, of course, comes from the fact that the blood of Christ is available. Paul wrote in Romans 5, beginning in verse 8, But God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath or from wrath through Him being justified by His blood. Someone said the word justified reminds us of the idea of just as if I'd never sinned. Because of the blood that was shed, when that blood is put on us as the blood was on the doors in Egypt, he will pass over us and deliver us. Do you think any of those Hebrews in Egypt were sinlessly perfect? No, they weren't. Some of them, I'm sure, had done some pretty terrible things. But the blood signaled that they respected God's will and they wanted to do what was right, that they believed in what He was going to do. Believed in the God who had the power to do that. We can be justified in spite of our sins by obeying from the heart that form of doctrine delivered to us. So the blood has justifying power, making us just before God. Even though we have sinned, and brought reproach upon our Heavenly Father. The book of Revelation makes the point that the blood has cleansing power. In fact, people oftentimes overlook key thoughts and things about difficult books and texts. There are always truths that stand out. And one of the things that you'll find true in the book of Revelation is that emphasis on the blood, not just any blood, but upon the blood of Christ. 
I want you to look, first of all, at Revelation 1, verse 5. There John wrote these words, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The word wash denotes a cleansing. We wash a wound in order to cleanse it. The doctors will, and nurses will scrub, literally wash their hands in order to be cleansed from any uh, bacteria or whatever if they're doing a procedure of some sort. Soap and water, we've learned during the COVID era, is very, very, or are very, very important. And uh, we've used all kinds of other sanitation means, haven't we? But the blood of Christ has the power to cleanse us from our sins. In Revelation 7, verse 14, we read, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This was one of the elders that are mentioned there in that particular passage. But you'll notice that they have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. They have washed their robes, and they have been made whole by having so washed. In 1 John 1 verse 7, John wrote, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's often been pointed out that the tense of the Greek verb cleanse or cleanse us in the King James is of such nature that it denotes a continual cleansing. It continues to cleanse us. As we walk in the light, doesn't say it'll continue to cleanse us as we persist in sin, but rather as we walk in the light. It's very important to notice that difference. So the blood has purchasing power. It has justifying power. It has cleansing power. But furthermore, it has remitting power. In Matthew 26, 28, at the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus there points out that His blood, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. To remit is to take away, to have removed. And so it is that when one is washed in the blood of the Lamb, his sins are remitted. Peter used that very same statement in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when he told the people on the day of Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there have been those who have debated that text for a long, long time. But one of the easiest ways to find the truth is to compare those two statements. 
You see, people will argue sometimes that the for in Acts 2.38 means because of. That is, you repent of your sins and you're baptized because your sins have just been remitted back there when you repented. And so baptism is not, they argue, essential to salvation because it is done because your sins have already been remitted. Now compare Matthew 26 where Jesus said, This is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Exactly the same statement for the remission of sins in the original language and in the English language in Acts, in Matthew 26 and in Acts 2. Same statement. Now, if it means because of in Acts 2.38, it has to mean because of in Matthew 26.28. And you would have Jesus therefore saying, this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many because your sins have already been remitted. That would not make any sense at all, would it? wouldn't be logical at all because if they had already been remitted, then what's the need of it being shed? I think we can all see that very clearly. The blood of Christ has the power to remit sins where we will no longer be held guilty of them. They will be remitted. In Hebrews chapter 13, you'll find that the blood also has sanctifying power. I think that most of us know that the word sanctify means to set apart, to set apart for a particular purpose. Sometimes when you ladies are cooking something, you probably have an ingredient that you have right there with you on the countertop or there in the, on the kitchen table but you set it over here in a particular place so as not to forget it, though you're not going to use it right now. It will be used later. So you put it over here aside for a specific purpose. Now that's the thought in the word holy or holiness and the word sanctification. That's the idea. Now, notice this statement in Hebrews 13, 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. That he might sanctify his own people, or sanctify the people with his own blood. The blood has sanctifying power. You see, the blood on the doorposts of the houses in Egypt a long time ago, set that house apart. It identified that house as a place where the death angel, as preachers used to say, would not enter. The blood of Christ also has redeeming power. In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. He's talking about being redeemed, talking about redemption, 
By what is redemption not accomplished? Not by silver and gold. Can't be purchased with money. But it is purchased, if you please, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We've all been studying the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning. And we have learned that we have redemption in Christ through His blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7. These are six things that the blood of Christ can do. It purchases, it justifies, it cleanses, it remits, it sanctifies, it redeems. That makes that blood very significant and very powerful. And then, in conclusion, those in Christ are all of one blood too. The blood of Christ. All nations of the earth have been made of one blood. The nation of God's people is of one blood as well. Another favorite hymn about the blood of Christ is the one that asks the question, Are you washed in the blood? If you've never made application of the blood or allowed God to make application of that blood of His Son to your life, by obeying the gospel, turning from a life of sin and penitence, making the good confession and being immersed into Christ, that blood can be applied to your life. If you're an erring child of God, then you need to come home and that blood will continue to cleanse you from your sins. So if you're subject, we bid you come as together we stand and sing.